There are days when I wonder what people are going to get out of the sermon. In fact, I mean, I just am already picturing in my mind what it's going to be like this afternoon when I lay down to try and take a nap. And I, I can just imagine somebody asking, you know, someone who was here this morning, well, what did the pastor talk about? And the answer, I hope, I hope to at least get this, right? The answer is, he talked about sin. Well, what did he say about sin? I'm sure the conversation will go maybe that far. He's against it. <laughs> the end. Right? That's, that's probably what people will get from the message. Well, if you get that, that's great. But there's more. There's much, much more. And I do, I, I am against sin. And I want you to be free from it so much. Because I do believe what it says in your Bible in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Now granted, most of us think about experiencing death at the very end. Like one time, we're going to experience death and that's it. But the reality is that, that all of us experience death in little ways all the time. There's, there's the relapse that someone who's addicted has and that's probably not just a little death, that's a big death. And that stings and it hurts for a long time. There's a death that comes when there's just this little lie and it, you know, it looked like it was going to make the problem go away and then it gets uncovered. And there's this experience of pain that can be explained in no other way than it's just a little bit of death creeping into the life that you want. And so, yes, if you get nothing else out of the sermon, what did the pastor talk about? He talked about sin and he's against it. Because he doesn't want you to experience that at all. But the problem is, it's not that simple, is it? <laughs> it's not that simple for me. My wishing it to be so doesn't make it so. My wishing to be free from sin doesn't make me free from sin. My hope that I won't do it again tomorrow doesn't necessarily make tomorrow any better. And some of that is that I am approaching sin in the wrong way. That I'm trying to, to fight it and solve the problem on my own in a way that I was never equipped to solve it in. And so what, what I hope to do this morning, and, and really throughout the next several weeks, is to help you, is to help you be free from the power that sin holds over you. And to do that, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6. And you'll, you'll, you'll find right there at the very beginning that there is a very interesting question that really raises the, the unavoidable topic, can in fact we stop sinning? Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, that's the proclamation of freedom we're after. That I might no longer be enslaved to sin. And so in order to get there, to get to the experience of no longer being enslaved to sin, uh, we have to make sure that we are clear on how God has enabled us to be free from it. So I want to start where we were last week in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, this is my, this is my summary of chapter 5. Okay? That there are two uh, spheres of living, two ways of living. One is captained by Adam, and everyone who was born into the human race has Adam as their captain, and he is their leader, and they, uh, there is a trickle-down effect from his sin that causes me to sin. The fact that there is sin in Adam means that there is condemnation and death that comes to everybody who is descended from Adam. And I can say, I can wish it weren't that way, I could hope for it to be better, but the reality is that's the way that it is. And the good news starts with simply the news that that's how it is. In Adam, that there is sin and sin, death has come through sin and condemnation with it before God. But, that through Jesus Christ, those, those who believe in Christ can have a different captain. Find Christ to be their captain. They live now, instead of living under the power of sin, they live in an atmosphere of grace. Because Jesus has made them right or justified them before God. And that experience then is an experience of eternal life that begins not when they die, but when they believe. And so that's, kind of, that's, that's why I draw them as sort of parallel um, spheres because it's, it's really the experience of eternal life that you're invited into. So our, our um, series on Romans is a series about being fully alive. And so there's these two things. The difference maker is Jesus Christ. 
who on the cross died so that you might be reconciled to God and might be transferred from one sphere to the other sphere. And that really is a, as fast as I can do a summary of Romans chapter 5. Okay? Because the last part of Romans chapter 5 just parallels Adam and Christ and how they're different and how they're the same and how Jesus is better than Adam. And so that with that as backdrop, because it is, it is so good to be over in this uh, arena with Jesus as my leader and to be, to be separated from what was there in Adam, that he says in, in chapter 20 of, uh, or verse 20 of chapter 5, that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace superabounded. In other words, the worse it was over here in sin, the better it is over here in Jesus. Which makes someone who's a little skeptical about this ask the question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what are we going to say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound. This sounds, this sounds like uh, a very simple question, a simple problem. I mean, if you're, you know, if you have a good attitude, right, you're going to say, of course not. But there are days when we don't all have good attitudes, right? There are days when there is a little more temptation than others. And we are thankful there's a lot of grace. But this is, a, this, is a, this is the math behind it, I think. If more sin equals more grace, which is what chapter 5 said, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. More, more grace than there is sin. I like to sin, and God likes to forgive, Therefore, when I sin, everybody wins. <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with that in there. It just doesn't quite sit right. Yet, when you think about it, and you think about the stories you tell yourself and the excuses you make when the temptation is hot, it's not that different from this. So the question that he asks is kind of a... He asks it in a way that most of us would resonate with. Should, Should we or should I continue in sin so that grace might abound to me? We sort of personalize it, we individualize it to say, should I continue in sin so that grace might abound? Okay, Because when I sin, everybody wins. Okay, here's Here's my picture for the equation we just saw. Right, so you have you have this person over here, who, you know, is maybe he recognizes he's got a problem, and so what's he going to do? He's he is maybe at a crusade, okay? Maybe there's a, a an evangelist on television. Maybe a friend just cares enough to to introduce him to Jesus, and he's saved by grace. 
He, he says, God, I need to be forgiven. I need to be clean. Would you save me? And God says, yes. By He said, I can do that because Jesus has died on the cross so you might be forgiven of your sin and reconciled to God. And that we've been over and over. That's chapter 3. That's chapter 4. That's We've been over this before. Okay. Hopefully, Hopefully, you have heard that some. If not, ask the person next to you after the service. Because that is really important. But what happens in practice, then, is this person over here knew that they were in trouble because they, they had this like, little bad angel on their shoulder. Okay? And they had a, you know, a conscience that says, this is good, this is not so good, you know, why don't you do your best to pick, right? Pick what's good, not what's bad. And there's these conversations that go on all the time. And this person got fed up, said, I need to be forgiven and reconciled to God by Christ. And so they submitted themselves to Jesus, trusted He would save them, and came over here. And then, the way that they understood what happens next is now I I was saved initially by grace, but now I have to now I have to live by good works. And the better I live, the, the bigger this little guy gets, and the smaller this little guy gets. And my whole idea is, I mean, in fact, I'll tell you when when I was when I was a young Christian, I mean, I read, I read. Think of them as two dogs, the dog that you feed is the dog that gets strong, and the dog that you don't feed is the dog that uh, uh, gets weak. And so, you feed the good dog and you don't feed the bad dog, and you go on doing your best to live by good works. And you see, when that is the case, what we have is a question that says, you know, should I just continue in sin? The grace may abound. If grace is really taking care of the bad things here, why not just sin and let sin or let grace take care of what's bad there? And it's a very much an individual question because I feel my sin. I I have a hard time controlling it, so I want to ask, well, why don't I get more grace for it? So that as I get more grace for it, grace abounds and God looks good and I get forgiven. It's all good. Except that we still experience the fallout from our sin. We still experience the death that sin brings. I want you to notice that he doesn't answer the question. So, my, my proposed answer to the question, what am I going to do about my sin, is do your best. Live by being good. That's not how Paul answers the question in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? How can we still live in it? And if you look at this, you see, there's nothing in this equation about dying to sin. It says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And here I have Nothing about that. I only have do your best. 
do your best is not good news. His answer to the sin problem is that you have died. I have died. We have died to sin. You've trusted Christ. You have died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? He goes on. Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You were baptized into His death. His answer for sin, He hasn't even come close to saying, do a little better. He's simply saying, you are dead to that sin. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. You're baptized into His death. You don't have the same relationship to sin that you had before. Then he goes on. In verse 4, he says he's buried, we are buried with Him. Verse 5, we are united with Him. Verse 6, we are crucified with Him. In other words, his answer to should we continue in sin is no, because by faith you have been united with Jesus. Now, that just seems like, I mean, if you're not like shaking your head, you know, what in the world are we talking about here? Okay? Being with Christ, being united with Christ. Let me, let me try this. To be united with Christ means that His history is my history. What is true of Him is true of me. His relationship to sin is my relationship to sin. His freedom from sin is my freedom from sin. Because I'm united with Him, His personal history is my history. Okay? You don't normally, we don't think this way very often. We normally think like, here I am, Jesus has done for me, something for me, Jesus and me, we're pals. We don't think of this. This seems a little harder. And we're going to spend a couple weeks on this because this is such an important idea. That I am united with Christ. Let, let me try this. Um, so, one of the pictures of this in the New Testament is the picture of a husband and wife. Okay, so, I, I hope that you will concede that I am united with Marcia. Okay, Part of what that means is that her history, her history is my history. Okay, Part of that History means that I have I have a lot of music in my family, okay, for which I'm thankful. And do you know what? I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal history. I took piano lessons. You never knew that, did you? Uh, I did. Uh, I gave it up for baseball. Because uh, a beautiful spring, I still remember the conversation with my mom. Beautiful spring morning. Mom, please. It's, look how nice it is outside. Don't make me go practice piano. And she relented. I've never, I'd never won before that in my whole life with my mom. 
But I won that one, and so I gave it up. And so what that means as a natural result of that is I don't have music in my house as an adult. No one, I didn't even think about that when I was nine. You don't think about those things when you're nine. But, Marcia didn't quit piano lessons. She kept going on piano lessons. So much so that she became a music education teacher. So much so that she taught all of our kids to play instruments so that we have music in our house all the time. And I have music in my house not because I try harder. Because that's not music. I'll play for you if you want. It's not. I have music in my house because I am united with Marcia. So, so there is this, that, that's one picture of being united. There's another way in which we're united. We're united to our families. You know, in, in, in this kind of way. Since I'm on to Marcia, I just want you to know, I almost lost her in the Civil War. I did. Her, her dad was really fond of reminding me. That he, he, he would say, I almost didn't make it through the Civil War. And what he meant was that Elisha Stockwell Jr., his grandfather, was shot in the Civil War and lived to write a book about it and lived to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, for which I'm grateful. But you see, there's no way that my family isn't united in some regard to his survival. Because his history of surviving the Civil War is now our history. Because we're united with him in, uh, in a family way. So this does happen in other areas besides just the spiritual life. But, but I want you to kind of log that away to say that... This being united with Christ seems to be the key to, to having the power of sin broken. And this is what he goes on to say then. We were buried with Him by baptism into death. So, we're buried. When someone's buried, that's, that's, they're certifi- certifiably dead. It's one of the reasons that it's important that Jesus was buried and even when Paul rehearses the Gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that Christ died and was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. This being buried certifies that we're dead with Him. Okay, we're buried with Him in baptism, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And so, somehow, our, we correspond to the death of Jesus, but we also correspond to this new life that Jesus had, this resurrection life. Okay, here it is again in verse 5. We are united with Him in a death like His. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And again in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So whatever is happening with this death with Christ, this resurrection with Christ, it is happening so that we might not have to do what sin wants us to do. So that we might be free. 
Okay, so I'm going to go back to the picture. I've changed it just a little bit because this is, this is a way that the Scripture describes our um, new life in Christ. There is, um, well, in, in, uh, in verse 6, it talks about our old self. Okay? And here, it says in Adam, we had this old self. Okay, in Romans 8, it talks about the flesh. In, in Colossians 1, it talks about being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Okay? It talks about having a new life, living by the Spirit, all of this in Christ. How you get there, in chapter 5, it says you get there by being justified through Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapter 6, it clarifies a little bit that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and being with Jesus in that, I am now transferred into this new life. So that the life I live now, in fact, that's, that's what it says in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. So no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. My personal identity is so tied up with Jesus that the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, the message is exactly the same. He loved me, gave Himself for me, but it wasn't merely to get me to, to, to cross over and get saved. He loved me and gave Himself for me so that I might be free from sin and that He might live in me, empowering me to have a new life. Okay, so this is a way to think about it. Okay, you'll notice here that there's no nobody on the shoulder, right? Because we just sort of made that up. That's not really a thing. What's really a thing is that I am over here in Adam under the power of sin, and when I give up. I mean, this, I give up this trying harder part, right? When I give that up and say, I can't do it anymore. I need Jesus. And what God, God has done for me through Jesus on the cross to save me from my sin and to forgive me and to reconcile me with God, I can come over here so that I am now in Christ and it's me in Christ. And what has happened has not been any change to the little people on my shoulder because we made that up. What's changed is my relationship to this. My relationship to sin and death and condemnation in Adam has changed. So that now, just like Jesus died and was buried and rose again, I died with Him, was buried, and rose to a new life over here that I begin when I cross over. Not when I die. Which means that now I'm free. I am in a different world. And what I do as a Christian is not try harder to do better and fight this sin you know, voice on my shoulders. What I do is I try and figure out what is this new life like that has been won for me by Jesus. And so I walk by faith in what He's done for me. 
This does a few things that I think are quite helpful. See, all of us think when we're over here thinking about sin, we think about the one or two things that we really have a problem with. Right? I, I'm angry. So I, I, I blow my top. I'm going to try not to blow my top anymore. Okay, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Because I don't like to it. I don't like it. Because it is a sin, let's just say. Okay, I'm going to pick, I'm not, I don't have time to, you get the picture. We all have something, right? <clears throat> what about those things that I'm not that conscious of? What about the, the feeling of superiority that I never expressed to anybody, but I have whenever I am in a crowd of people? That's not so good. But I don't really think about that being a problem. Or what about, what about the fact that I, um, well, that I need to be, you know, in charge. That's, that's just how my personality is. Right? I mean, you, you get me, you get that, because that's just kind of how it goes. You know what? We all have something like that too. Maybe it's, maybe I'm a people pleaser. And I don't think about it being sin. I think about it being personality trait. Well, what, what this does for me is this says all of that, everything I am by virtue of being a human being is over here. And until I am completely redeemed, until I am completely transformed, I still have vestiges of that over here. But my relationship to it's changed. It's not just take it or leave it because this is who I am. It's now, wait a minute, there's some death in that. There's some, there's some badness in me that, uh, I mean, I don't want any longer. And I, and I don't really recognize it, but it does cause problems between me and other people. And whatever it is, all of that, my relationship to it has changed because I've died with Christ, been buried with Him, and have risen to a new life that I live now. And so all of it has to be made new. Which is a very different proposal than trying harder and doing better. And I'm just going to suggest to you, that's the way we roll. We normally roll by saying, I'm going to try harder and do better. You see, here, here is as clearly as he can state it. We are united with him in a death like his, so we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay? So, dying to this and a new life over here that's, that's as clearly as God can say, you're a new person when you trust Christ. Stop being like this. Okay? Trust that the death blow has been dealt to it. And you can live a new life. We were crucified with Him so that the body of sin, this, this total me, okay, this total me that has its good parts, has its bad parts, that I never really thought of as sinful all the time, that it might be brought to nothing 
so that I might no longer be a slave to what is over here. So that's how we get free. That's the provision God has made for us to be free. So we're, we're going to have to go back to this over and over. In fact, all of chapter 6 is about this and the practical application of this to what it means to us day by day. But I just want to suggest that we need to be free from sin and we don't get free by trying harder to do better. Okay, This is the try harder model. And it doesn't work. But the natural thing we do when we say, my identity, my identity is unchanged. So I'm still the same person. Doesn't, I don't change. When we are not a new person in Christ, all that's left for us is to try harder. Which is very natural. So much so that in Colossians, I read this just in my quiet time yesterday. If with Christ you died... Same premise. You're going to be new here. You die to the elemental spirits of the world, to the way that the world talks to you, to everything that's over there in Adam. You died to it. Why? As if you were still alive over there, because you're not, do you still submit to its regulations? Here's what people try don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Never heard that, have you? Legalism is born from religious people trying to manage their sin. We are not talking about sin management here. We are talking about sin freedom. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that perish when they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Don't be deceived. These have the appearance of wisdom. It looks like that's a good idea. To try harder and do better. To do, to do good works as a way of managing your sin. Promotes self-made religion, asceticism, severity to the body. But, there's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's no value there in setting up these external religions. The, the, the value is in this internal transformation where my identity is made new because my history has been remade. I am now with Christ as opposed to being on my own doing my best. I am with Christ and being with Christ frees me because He died and I died with Him. He rose and I rose together with Him. And so, the upstart of this is to go back to the same question. How should I continue sinning? No way. How can we who died continue to live in it? If I have died to everything that is over here in Adam, to all my natural tendencies, to my bad attitude, to my quick tongue, if I died to, the, to my anger, if I died to my lust, if I died, if, if, if that's my new relationship to all this stuff, and I have a different identity now that I am over here with Christ, how can I still be over there 
the process now of chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 is getting over here and enjoying life over here and not feeling like I'm failing all the time. And the key to this, the key to this is right here, isn't it? We who died to sin. How do we die to sin? With Christ. In our communion with Christ, we have a new identity. By being united with Christ, we are new. This newness means we're free. And so, this morning, one of the ways that I hope to remind you of your union with Christ is by the celebration of communion. Where Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Where we're reminded of His death, His burial, His resurrection, so that we might... Realize this didn't merely get rid of the penalty of sin. This didn't merely promise me to get rid of the presence of sin in heaven. But rather, what we're going to celebrate in the death and resurrection of Jesus and our identification with Him is that He broke the power of sin once and for all. And so, we're going to celebrate communion here just now. There's two tables in, in the front and two in the rear. I'm going to invite you during the next song to get out of your seat and to come and get the elements and return to your seat and we'll celebrate uh, in a, together in a moment. Um, but as you do, I, I want you to realize that what you're, what you're remembering here as you're thinking about the death of Jesus is you're really celebrating the fact that you're with Him in this. You're united to Christ in this. And I trust that the act of taking communion will sweeten your experience of communion with Christ Himself. And so, if you're here this morning and you have... you know you're just sort of thinking about this and you're here looking at what this uh, Christianity is like, but you're not ready to trust Christ and come and have new life. I understand that. And we're glad you're here and, and want you to come back because I think that this will help you. But really, this communion celebration is for those who have trusted Christ and have gone from over here in Adam to over here in Christ. And if you understand that that's what's happened to you, then I want to encourage you to celebrate communion with us. And so let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll remember the Lord through communion.